You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, all right. You guys can grab a seat. Lord, thank you this morning for the praise of, through music and through the time together in your word. Thank you for what you're doing here at North Valley. Jesus, we love you. We need you. And we thank you for this special day. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, great being with you guys. My name's Ryan. For those of you that are new, I'm excited to be able to share, give you a little bit of an inside look as to kind of what's going on in the life of the church. And so on your way in, you got a little impact report. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to share on the, uh, the person side, uh, we have uh, gone through a process of looking at the scriptures about raising up other uh, godly men to serve as elders in the church. And I asked you guys to pray for that and then asked our members to help us confirm in that process and through unanimous decision. And uh, with you guys as members, uh, I was really encouraged to see that we have Andy uh, Branch, who is now going to be serving as an elder here at the church. So Andy, if you and your wife Michelle and your son would stand together and let's celebrate them. Yeah. Andy and Michelle and their family will be at the guest services Ramada that's right outside there uh, after services. I want to encourage you to connect with these guys. Uh, this is a leadership uh, structure within the church. It's really important uh, for the church to move forward on the great commission and the great commandments of what Jesus called the church to do. Um, specifically, our vision as a church is to reach the North Valley for Jesus Christ. Um, I'm encouraged to, to be able to share with you kind of the impact of the fruit of the labor that's been happening here at the church. Um, I want to rehearse to you our purpose statement. Our purpose as a church is to gather people to worship Jesus. So we don't gather people for any other reason, but Jesus is the reason for why we are here, so that people might know the love of God and the life with God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, we gather people to worship Jesus, develop them to grow in Christ-centered maturity, help them discover their design for ministry and to go in, into the world to share and show the love of Jesus Christ through his local church. Um, 2017 Ministry Impact Report is really, it records what happened uh, the calendar year of 2017. And so um, already we, what we've looked at is over the last year, there's been about 300 uh, average attendance, and that's a 24% uh, growth. Um, from 2016 to 2017, so the church is growing. Um, I think it's really important for churches to be growing in this area. Uh, the community is growing. The birth rate is increasing. More people are moving into a community. Um, Jesus said, gave a great commission, go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Love your neighbor. Our neighbors are moving in. And so the church is growing. That's been really encouraging to see that. Uh, we have 126 uh, volunteers. Uh, a lot of those folks serve maybe once a month or once a quarter, but many of you guys serve every single week. And I just want to thank you right now for your investment into the life of this church. We're making a difference together. Um, I'm humbled and happy to, to serve as a pastor here at the church. I'm really excited about sharing uh, what God's been doing here. Um, you guys have been investing um, relationally, inviting friends and family uh, to the services and building relationships with them and uh, giving a lot of opportunities for people to, to meet, know, and follow Jesus Christ. This last year, we had 105 people make a decision for Christ. They prayed to receive Jesus Christ in 2017 alone. 
Uh, that's something we're celebrating. Can we celebrate that? We had 40 baptisms. That's a lot of baptisms. Um, we had 40 baptisms in 2017. Um, baptism is the public symbol and sign that you're, uh, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, like the wedding ring on the finger for marriage. It's the sign and the symbol. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. We're ramping up for our Easter services to do some more baptisms. My encouragement to you is maybe you were baptized as an infant or maybe you were baptized and it really wasn't your faith. It wasn't your faith wasn't real. I want to encourage if you haven't been baptized or you were baptized and it really wasn't your big idea or it wasn't genuine uh, on Easter Sunday this year, uh, we're going to be holding four services. I know for you volunteers are like, four? Did he say Four? Uh, yes, I said four. We're going to have a sunrise service, and then we're going to do three identical services here. Three of those services, we're doing baptisms. I want to encourage you, you're not too old to be baptized. Um, the requirement for baptism is a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And parents, I want to encourage you to have conversations with your kids. If your kid is a follower of Jesus, they need to be baptized. Um, and so I'm going to be helping resource our members and our attenders uh, more about, you know, um, baptism, but you can go on our website and, and, and see that. Well, I want to thank you that all of you who have given your uh, time, your talent, and your treasure to invest into this church. Uh, 105 people making decisions for Christ is incredible. That is such a joy. The Bible says that when one sinner returns from their sin, all oh, the, the angels in heaven rejoicing. So North Valley, we're going to put those angels to work and make a lot of, a lot of angels rejoice in heaven. Amen. Let's celebrate that again. Let's celebrate that. Right. Kids' summer camps, we had 21 kids go. We had three leaders. Uh, we, your hope offering helps that happen. It scholarships kids that financially can't get to camp. Uh, when you give to the hope offering, that's what that does. That helps uh, kids in need. It helps bring hope to anybody who needs hope. That was part of our initiative with the hope offering. Neighborhood groups, we have eight locations, 83 participants, uh, part of neighborhood group. That's a major environment on how you grow in your faith with other believers. And so we're going to continue to see that. Some of you have not been a part of a neighborhood group. I want to encourage you, make 2018 an opportunity where you do that. Um, maybe you need to open up a neighborhood group. Um, part of the responsibility of neighborhood groups, though, is gathering people. You're constantly gathering people to connect and grow. Um, Big days, we had some big days. We call the kind of the big uh, Christmas, Easter's, and grand openings. Those are our big days where you see peak attendance. Uh, we had 627 people at Easter. We had 621 at our grand opening and 523 at Christmas Eve. Uh, that's pretty incredible. It was really exciting. That means that the community is interested. Um, oftentimes when people are unchurched or disconnected from a relationship with Jesus, they'll check out a church once or twice a year. And uh, what we see is more and more as we have these big days, it's a cultural rhythm where God uses uh, for churches to be a platform and a great invitation opportunity for you guys to invite family and friends to hear about Jesus. So we've been real encouraged to see that. We gave over um, $16,000 towards church planting locally and globally, including an LA mission trip we sent out. That was through the Hope Offering. Um, North Valley Kids, we scholarship kids uh, to summer camp, uh, help support two foster care um, or uh, group homes in, in the Deer Valley area to strengthen those relationships. 
uh, with, the, with the children there, and then we got to participate in giving relief to Hurricane Harvey victims this last year. So all together, I want to say thank you, all of you as a church, for making this be a vibrant faith community uh, that we're making a difference for Christ. So let's celebrate that together. Well, I'm going to jump in to uh, share with you as well next week. I'm going to preview some of the needs for children and youth next week. Um, some, some upcoming things for 2018 that we need to invest our time and energy and money into as a church. And so next week, I want to encourage you to come back. I want to give you an update on some of the things that are going on and the opportunities we have with youth and children. They are the next generation. And we've got, a, we've got a, about a third of our church adult population is children. Uh, that ranks us and clarifies us as a, a young, young church in many ways. And everybody has a part in this. Our job is, is to create a lifelong legacy for the name and fame of Jesus for generations to come. This is our outpost. And North Valley is just getting started. So I want to encourage you, let's go all in together for 2018. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray and we'll jump in. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray, God, now as we look to your scriptures, might our lives be more scripture-like. Might our attitudes, our ambitions be reflected and characterized around how the word of God lays out. So this morning, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to minister in this time, specifically reveal things that might be hidden or suppressed, and Lord, bring to light the truth of your word, lay on to the lives of everyone here today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Five marks of real love for real life. We're looking at uh, Boaz as a perfect example of what uh, a person, an individual who really lays down his life and really loves really well. And really, this is also just a, it's in many ways, it's a foreshadowing of the great love that God has for you. In many ways, you need to think of everybody here, men and women, need to think of yourself like Ruth. This is week five in, in, in the series, so if you're new here, you're, you're kind of catching up to it. But Ruth, what do we know about Ruth is that she was dependent. She needed redemption. She was in need. That's like you and me as believers. Well, we need Jesus Christ. We're separated from the love of God and the life of God without a Redeemer, and that Redeemer is Jesus. Here, let's try that again. And that Redeemer is? There you go. It's kind of like, that's the, that's the answer you always give in Sunday school. If they ask you a question, just say, Jesus. In a Jesus-centered church, you're always right with that. So, uh, But Jesus is the Redeemer. And uh, for you and me, it's like this is what we're going to see. We're going to see that, number one, that real love pursues. Um, real love for real life. I'm going to just focus on Christ and his work and the work of God and how it relates to us for a moment. Is God pursues us. God, God pursues you. Night after night, when you lay your head on your pillow and you're thinking about the work week ahead of you, the relationships that you're in, you need to know there is a God who pursues you. What we're going to look at today is Boaz, real-life storyline of a historical figure who's going to pursue his, his bride-to-be. And uh, it's a great foreshadowing. If you're not in a relationship and don't want to be in a relationship, you can look at this and see this is the love of God also being reflected here. 
For those of you that are in a relationship, my encouragement to you is to look at, this is a great paradigm for you men to see. This is what real love looks like. Uh, Boaz exemplifies this so well. First thing we see is real love pursues. It says, chapter 4, verse 1, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And so Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. It's really interesting. Boaz was at the threshing floor, and then he moves from the threshing floor from the night before. The decision's made that he's going to go pursue uh, Ruth's hand in marriage, and so he's going to the city gate. The city gate was kind of like the, the uh, courtroom, or it was the uh, civic center of the city. And so the first thing he does is, it's interesting, he says that he sits down, and you're thinking, well, how would, how would Boaz be pursuing anybody if he sits down? If you Today, when we hear the word sit down uh, and related to anything, uh, sitting down on the job, it's like inactivity. Well, sitting down in this culture and custom was actually the sign that there's ready to be a transaction of business of some sense. And so what we're going to see is that Boaz sat down. This would have been a signal to many people around. And he says, and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Uh, there was a redeemer that was closer than Boaz. And the big question mark that we got left with last week as we were in looking at Ruth was, um, who's going to redeem Ruth and Naomi? And Boaz cares tremendously about Ruth, takes the initiative. He is the epitome of what I would call living out a biblical definition of manhood. He's pursuing what matters most. He's taken up the opportunity. He's rejecting passivity. He could have stayed back. He's accepting responsibility. He knows what he needs to do. He's beginning to lead courageously, and he's expecting God's reward. But it's interesting what he says. It just so happened, this Redeemer walks by, and Boaz spoke and said, turn aside, friend. Uh, that's a fancy way to say that he didn't know his name. Guy walks by, and he's like, hey, friend, you know, at church, uh, here there's 300-plus people, you know, on an average Sunday, um, and it's growing, and 2018 has been growing. The, my, my regret with all you guys is that I don't know your name. So oftentimes, I'll, I'll let you know, is I might call you friend, bud, or bro, uh, and I'm trying to figure out your name. Well, literally, uh, this was kind of a catchphrase in Israel. If you didn't know somebody's name, you just called them friend. Hey, friend, come here. Boaz doesn't know his name, so he says, turn aside, friend, and, but then he's, Boaz is uh, directive, and he says, sit down here, and he turned aside and sat down. Boaz is pursuing. He's pursuing what matters most. He's taking initiative. He needs to get the right, uh, he needs to have the right conversations with the right people around. Secondly, we see real love plans. It says that he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Uh, ten is an interesting number because in uh, Jewish uh, history, later what we find out is ten is the magic number for there to be a, a quorum uh, of individuals that would be necessary to make big decisions for the nation of Israel or in the synagogues. There would need to be ten individuals for there to be a marriage ceremony. Uh, and so ten is the number that he gathers. Boaz seems to have clout. Do you know what I mean by clout? I mean a relational authority, a network to be able to gather people like this. Uh, he's got a plan. Real love plans. 
How many of you guys are planners? Just plan your life away. Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you don't make a lot of plans and you just kind of move by the Spirit and you pray? Yeah. I, I mean, it's very spiritual. I think it's very wonderful. I pray all the time, um, and then I meet the planners. And the planners tend not to pray, and the prayers tend not to make a lot of plans. Uh, what we're going to see with, with Boaz is that he, there's both going on. But this guy has good plans. This is an encouragement for, for me to you guys as uh, providers, protectors, is you need to make plans for your family. You have life insurance policies. You have budget. Do you have the things that are prepared to keep a, a safe family? Are you putting away for retirement? Or do you have an emergency account? Those kind of things. What we see here is there's some very ordinary business transactions going on because what we're going to find out is there's a piece of property at stake as well. And Boaz doesn't care about property near as much as he cares about this little princess, Ruth. Look what he says. He took 10 men of the elders, this would have made it official, of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down and then he said uh, to the redeemer, Naomi, you know, uh, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab and is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, what had happened is Naomi had fell on hard times. We all know, as we've read through the story, uh, been through the series, you've heard that Naomi and Ruth were scavenging for food. Uh, they were destitute. They'd come back from Moab. It was a disaster. They'd been there for 10 years. They moved back to Bethlehem. It's been about a year. And Bethlehem's recovered from a significant famine. But we don't know exactly how Naomi has this piece of property, but it's connected to Elimelech, her, her, previous, her husband who's deceased, and she's got this property and she's going to sell it. So very likely it was like a short sale. You got to get rid of it really fast. She needed the cash to be able to uh, just to live. And so as tradition was, is that if you could keep the property in the, in the, in, in the family, that was the best move. Uh, I come from, uh, born in Dallas, grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, my family has a big ranch about out, you know, 30 miles west of Little Rock. And we've got a lot of family property. And we, when we were actually trying to uh, raise money to purchase this property, I went back to my dad and told him, hey, I want to sell my land that you gave me as an inheritance to give to the church. And it was like an upheaval in our family, like, to do that. You don't, you don't get property out of the family and let it go. So my dad was so gracious, he said, I'll buy that inheritance and give you the cash so you can give it to the church. Um, keeping land in the family was a big deal. And so this is an opportunity, the first right uh, to purchase the property and uh, would have been to the closest redeemer. This was an individual uh, that could redeem and restore uh, uh, somebody that had fallen, a family, a distant family member that had fell into a crisis. So we see not only does real love pursue, real love plans, it continues to show that uh, Boaz has great plans. Look what he says, verse 4. He says, So I thought I would tell you of it, buy it in the presence, I thought I'd tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it or purchase it, uh, redeem it, purchase it. He says, do it, if that's what you're going to do. Uh, he needs to know because he wants to take Ruth as, as his uh, bride. Um, and there's been a lot of prayer going into this. Boaz would, uh, this was Naomi's prayer that, that Ruth would, would uh, find a godly husband and uh, marry this individual. 
And so a lot's at stake here. Let's continue to read. But if you'll not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So Boaz says, I'm the person next in line right behind you. You've got the first option on this. When you go out to try to buy a home and you make an offer, oftentimes there's somebody that's right behind that's making another offer. And if the first offer falls through, then the person in the second seat, they're, they're, they have the opportunity to purchase. In this scenario, what's going on is, is that Boaz is in second place. And the guy thinks about the property and the position maybe that would put him financially and says, yeah, I'll do that. I'll purchase that immediately. But Boaz has got a plan and he's going to bring to attention some details that weren't first communicated. Now remember, there's 10 elders that are watching. This is a legal transaction. This is a a business deal regarding real estate and property, but there's also people involved. Boaz really doesn't care about the property. Boaz is fine. He owns a lot of, of, of fields, uh, harvest uh, fields of uh, wheat and barley. And uh, he's done pretty well because he's in a position to probably buy this property by cash. And there was an economic downturn. He had uh, protected his investments and was wise with his money. And he was in a position to buy it if this first guy wouldn't do it. But this is what he says, verse 5. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the what? The Moabite. Moabites were ancient enemies with the nation of Israel. Um, They were cursed people where those from Israel were called a, a chosen race, a chosen people. Uh, the Moabites had practiced uh, uh, all sorts of uh, things of uh, worshiping demon, de- demon gods, did child sacrifices. It was something that wasn't very popular. It wouldn't get you very far if you were in Bethlehem back in the day and married to a Moabite. It would have brought some, uh, definitely some controversy to the relationships that you were involved in. And so this guy says... Uh, Boaz continues, and he says, this is the widow of the dead. Um, Malon was her husband. Malon had passed away. And uh, he continues to say, and this is in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. This is Elimelech's son, Malon, would have uh, had the land. He would have been the, mo- he would have been the rightful heir of the property. Um, the, the first son would have received the property but he's dead. And so in essence, what he's saying, if you buy the land, you buy the property, you also get this person, Ruth, and I bet he said it in an interesting way, the Moabite. And the guy's thinking, okay, this is different. This isn't just property. Now you're talking about a Moabite lady, and I have to have her cantankerous, bitter old mother-in-law. Her name was Naomi, but she had said, change my name to Mara, which means bitter one. And so that's a big package to take. You got property, now you have a mother-in-law, and then you have this young Moabite lady. And I think uh, Boaz was strategic because he didn't bring uh, Ruth to the transaction. He left her back uh, with mom. And probably why, because she was so beautiful, and he's like, I don't want you to see her. And so he makes a funny, you know, she's a Moabite. So look at the guy's response. So he continues on, and then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself. 
So he says, I can't do it. A minute ago, he just said, yeah, I could do that. I'll redeem it. But as soon as the Moabite name comes up, Ruth and the mother-in-law, he thinks this deal just changed. I cannot redeem it for myself, least, lest I impair my own inheritance. He says, take my right, redeem it yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Uh, probably why he said no is, uh, I mean, there could have been multiple reasons. Um, one is, maybe it was too expensive. I mean, now he's got a piece of property, but now he's getting not only Ruth, but the mother-in-law, and he would have to prepare, uh, provide for both of them. So that's a lot to provide for. It also could have been because he was very concerned about his own inheritance, because he, the taking Ruth would have meant that he would have to perpetuate their family name, have children with Ruth, and if Ruth had a son, then that son would have for sure been entitled to that piece of property, which would have not been any gain for him, and it probably could have jeopardized his own assets and his own property of maybe that now he'd have to divide all of his, the inheritance to this new child as well. So here's what we see. What we see is, is one guy cares about the property, the other guy cares about the princess. Boaz cares for the young lady. Um, he says, I can't do it. But all this to say is, my encouragement for you to think about this is, men, this is a great pattern for you. Real love pursues. You constantly have to pursue your wife. Um, you can't go on idle and you can't go in neutral. It's always got to be in drive. You got to keep moving forward, pursuing each other. Oftentimes when it comes to the married relationship, we think that marriage is the finish line when really it's the starting line. So you're in marriage for a good season and, and you've got to understand it's a journey, it's a race, and you've got to keep going. You've got to keep pursuing. Um, real love plans. You need to plan. Men, you need to make plans for your family, life insurance, health insurance, all that. You don't want to uh, jeopardize and hurt your family. Um, but let me just back up for a moment and speak to all of you for a moment. This is the, the greatest example of real love is a relationship that God has with us. Did God not pursue us, me and you? Has he not gone to the greatest lengths and the greatest details? You know, the other day I was walking with my son and I told you this story not too long ago. My, my son said, Dad, I, I just wish I could know my faith is so real I wish there was some way I could see God do a miracle or reveal himself to me. And I said, well, Sam, he did. In the person and the work of Jesus Christ, he showed us an exact representation of the Father. It's love. Real love pursues. God pursues you. You need to know that when you run far from God, God is right there beside you. Whether you go to the depths, to the heights, God is there. He pursues. Real love pursues. God is always pursuing you. No matter where you go, what you've done, you need to know that there is a, a heavenly Father who's, who's pursued you at all costs. That no matter what situation you find yourself in, what circumstance you find yourself in, there's a God who pursues. And that God pursues you day in and day out. And that gives us great understanding on how we're to deal with our relationships. Real love pursues. Our heavenly Father also plans. God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. Every man, woman, and child, God has a plan. The Bible says that before he formed the foundations of the world, that he planned out your life. And he holds it together. Our life is not some random chaos in God's distant uh, uh, 
carekeeper. He's very actively involved. In this relationship, we see real love for real life. It's also a foreshadowing of the work of our Heavenly Father in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is the greatest Redeemer. He paid it all. For all of our sins were made atoned for on the cross. He's pursued us at great lengths. And we could never go to bed at night thinking that we don't have a, a, a hope uh, with the Lord. The Christian life is the best life. There's not a better life. It's the life where we experience a life with God and the love of God. And what we see here is a historical love story. But it's also a great, grandioso story of the love of God for every person. And He offers that relationship with us. Look what we see in verses 7 through 8. We see that uh, real love follows procedures. This is kind of interesting. As I was studying this this week, I was thinking, what? That's a little interesting. There's got to be some kind of formality, maybe a signing of a declaration of uh, being in the, uh, redeeming this property and taking up Naomi and Ruth's hand. It says, the author writes and says, now this was the custom. So he's telling you, this was a bit of a cultural uh, custom. In former times in Israel, concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he drew off his sandal. It would have been like, they're having a conversation, Boaz and this Redeemer, what's his face, or hey friend, and he sits there and he says, all right, Boaz says, I'll redeem her. I'll restore the property. I'll purchase it. He's got the cash to do it. So the guy sitting there, there's 10 elders in the room. They're all, they're all there together. It's an official transaction. But the funny thing is, instead of signing a document, the guy takes off his shoe and says, and here you go. And you're like, why, why would he do that? Well, it was custom in that time that when you bought a piece of property, you, what you'd do is you would uh, walk with the, the, the person who owned it, and the buyer and the seller would walk the property lines together. They walk the property line, and then once you, you finished it up, this is your property, guy would hand him a shoe and say, I won't step foot on your property anymore. It's yours. Here's my shoe as a sign of my commitment. You can walk all over the property. It's yours, not mine anymore. So there's a procedure that was taking place. Real love follows procedures. And and in our life, in our relationships, there's formalities and procedures. You know, when when you uh, choose to marry one another, there's customs that you inherit when you uh, come together. There's an important procedure in signing a, a, a marriage uh, uh, document. You need to see that not simply as a contract, but a covenant. Marriage is not some contractual agreement, although that's how the law lays it out to be. It's a covenant. But there's a procedure, and, and Boaz is following the steps, honoring the culture and the customs. Fourthly, we see that real love is public. It says, Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the, 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 hand, from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Those were uh, Elimelech's sons and Naomi's sons as well. So now he's the one who, who has it all. It's, it's a public situation. 
And he makes it very clear and very public. And he continues on. He says, also the Ruth Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. And he says, you are witnesses this day. My encouragement to you is real love is public. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Those of you that are married, you should be proud you're married. My encouragement is wear your wedding ring unless you have some medical problem why you can't wear the wedding ring. Uh, you should be public in your relationships when you're talking to other friends or employees or people in the workspace. Um, safeguard your relationship from affairs. Extramarital relationships is constantly talk about your spouse. Talk about your spouse. Um, you might receive lots of compliments, ladies, uh, how beautiful you are. Say, great, my husband thinks so too. Husbands, my encouragement to you is tell your wife she's beautiful all the time. Don't let somebody else do the lion's share of the praising. Because anybody can find, they can find that somewhere else. You don't praise them, somebody else will. Um, real love is public. You need to publicly communicate your love and affection and care for one another. Um, for all of us, God's love is public. That's why we even do baptism. It's a public sign of God's great work that he takes individuals, he washes away their sins and gives them a brand new standing and a raise to new life. Baptism is public. That's a mark of, of, of being a part of God's family. Um, real love is public. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross was public, a public sign. That there's been atonement between a wayward humanity and an all-forgiving, all-just, all-loving God. Real love is public. Real love prays. Look what we see in verses 11 through 12. It says this, it says, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, were witnesses. They had witnessed this, and then they pray the spontaneous prayer. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. These are matriarchs of Israel. These are women who had been used by God to help build up the nation of Israel. It's interesting that he mentions uh, Rachel first. She uh, was barren for so many years. And for Ruth, she had been barren for so many years. Ten years she was in Moab and she couldn't have children. And now the prayer is, God, would you do something extraordinary? He says, may the Lord make the, the, the woman who is coming into your house, this idea of coming into the, to the family, uh, like Rachel and Leah, who built up the house of Israel, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by, uh, by this young woman. And, and here's the deal. Uh, children are a gift of the Lord. And they're acknowledging that, that these children, the future generations, are God's gift. What's amazing is that Boaz and Ruth are going to have a, a child who's eventually going to be a long successor, and there's going to be a long ancestral line with kings, like King David, and ultimately the King Jesus that will come from their offspring. God's using all things to work together for the good. Here's what I want to encourage you to see before we um, leave here today. 
see for all of us, singles, married, is that behind this love story is the great love story between God and His church. That God is the one who demonstrates the real love for you. His real love He pursues day in and day out. The Bible says that we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us. It moves through our conscience and our convictions of our heart. And that pursuit is, as oftentimes as you're living your life, doing your thing, you need to know that the Holy Spirit is the one who's trying to guide you and direct you that your life would be conformed to the patterns of Scripture. And His pursuit for you is unending. It's not like uh, He's going to quit on you. No matter what hardship you're going through, what significant challenge that you're in in your relationship, you need to know God's love always pursues. So when you are fatigued and you don't have the energy to strengthen up your spiritual life, you need to know that God pursues you. Right there in your weakness. Right there in your insufficiency. Right there in your inadequacy. Right there in your inconsistencies. God pursues constantly. That's the good news for me as a Christian. And when I'm tired or when I'm worn out, God's love constantly pursues. God is a God who pursues. God is a God who makes plans for us. His plans are to prosper us, to strengthen us. Doesn't mean that we won't go through hardship, but God's love is constantly planning and creating purpose in our life. And now I want to encourage you as we move forward is, you know, for those of you who may be longing for this uh, love story in real life where you meet this other individual, the greatest love that you'll ever experience is through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Nothing will really fill your heart up the most until that's really set in place. And so whatever situation you find yourself in, here's what I want to encourage you to do is to try this out. As we see the providence of God, God's working and controlling in ordinary circumstances is to try this out. Do what's right and trust God for the results. Whatever situation you find yourself in. That's what Boaz did. He just did what was right. He sensed what was right and then he's going to trust God for the results. He didn't know what if the, what if the Redeemer would have said, no, 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 I'll redeem. I'll do that. He's just going to do what he knows is right and trust God for the results. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for uh, the timeless truths in Scripture. Lord, I thank you for the real love in real life that you offer through the person and the work of Christ. Thank you for this church and thank you for all my friends here. And for some of you, as we're praying, you may not have that relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, maybe you're trying to fill that relationship with another uh, individual. And what God says is, I'm the one who can fill that void. So you will never experience real love until you have that right and you meet the one who's the greatest love story narrative that the world has ever known. And that is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So if that's you, as we're in prayer today, I just want to take the opportunity to invite you to start a relationship with Christ so that you can experience real love. And out of that love, relationship with the Lord will give you a vision of what you might find in a mate. And so would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, acknowledge my sin and I acknowledge my need for you and I believe Jesus Christ is the remedy to my sin I believe Jesus Christ to forgive me 
of my sin. I confess Jesus Christ today as the Lord of my life, the new love of my life. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to let us know, you can, or just let a friend know, maybe that you came with. And uh, if you did, then we'd love to help you get going in that relationship with the Lord. And baptism's coming up. It'd be a great opportunity for you to be baptized. Um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have communion. Invite Pastor Jonathan up. And uh, if you started that relationship today, uh, realize that in communion, we're sharing that opportunity to see and to savor the great love that God's poured out for us uh, for real life. We need Him. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.